continue our series, God's Priceless Promises. The very first tool I ever owned in my life was not a sawhorse, was this hammer, an S-wing straight claw hammer. The reason I got it is because my dad had one just like it, and I had to have a hammer like my dad's. Now, I remember as a young boy, as we built a back porch onto our property, I, I used to start hammering like this, literally. And my dad would say, son, that's not how you hold a hammer. One, you don't use two hands. I wanted to make sure I hit the nail on the head. And he said, you use one hand, and you don't hold it up near the head. That's the other thing I was doing. You hold it in the back of the hammer, and as you... Now, let's see, I haven't practiced. I missed them both times. That's how bad my therapy is. I should have uh, I should have Kyle Krager down here doing this for me. Back to therapy tomorrow. What's it about grip? You can drive nails so much easier. Matter of fact, I do not have a framing hammer. I've looked at them, I've lusted after them, and I have no use for one. But they're huge. They have a long handle, and they have a lot of weight up here, and you can really just drive nails. Now, I know nowadays they use pneumatic for everything, it seems like. But back when I was a kid, I practiced driving nails. One-handed, at the end of the handle. And getting a grip on that hammer was so important. We also hear talk about, get a grip on it. Get a grip on it. Barbara and I, we were in Grand Rapids this weekend at a wedding. And so we drove back. Yesterday got in last night. But we talked. I, I love spending six hours each direction just talking with my wife. And we talked about times when we gripped the hands of our children. I remember when we moved to camp and we were on a 47-acre spread with water, with a pool, with horses. We, grabbed, we had snapping turtles just a hundred feet away from the little cabin that we lived in. And we had our son, who was about six or seven. Turtles? No, well, these were snapping turtles. And so we had to take him by the hand carefully and show him what a snapping turtle could do with a small twig and snap it. The horses were within an electric fence. But the problem was the electric fence was stapled to the back of our home. 
And so our daughter Brenda, who was very young at the time, could open the back window out of her little room and pet the horses. (laughs) Dangerous. And so we'd have to take her by the hand and grab her hands and say, now wait a minute, these are are half-ton or larger animals that could just crush you. She had no concept of that. And over time, as they understood the dangers of living on a 47-acre camp facility, we released the grip over time until they got into trouble and then we'd have to grip them and put the boundaries back in place. I'll never forget, I've told this story before, our family had gone to the McCormick Place in Chicago to the annual boat show and my brother who is three years younger with me wandered off for two hours. Well when my folks understood you wouldn't believe the death grip they had on each of our hands because this was a huge facility. They had gripped us because of the danger And after two hours of frantically looking for him, finding him, and as we walked back through the display area, he would say, well, I've already seen that, and I've already seen that. And he he had seen the whole facility because he wasn't encumbered by his parents that had a grip on them. As we hold on to our children, do they always like being held by our hands in theirs? What's the answer? No. They want to get loose. They want to do their own thing. And as a parent, a concerned, safety-conscious parent, do we let them go? Yes or no? No. I don't care how much they squirm. I don't care how disobedient they might be. If we're in a dangerous situation, if we're crossing a busy street at the intersection, we hold their hand. I don't care what they're going to say. I can do this, Dad. I can do this, Mom. I'm going to hold your hand. Well, today we're going to look at a text found in John chapter 10. And it's going to talk about getting a grip. John 10, verses 22 to 31. Page 1141, there in the Pew Bible. Let me give you the setting, what's happening in John 10. Jesus, up to this point, is teaching on being the Good Shepherd. And as the true shepherd, Jesus came to seek and to heal. He talks about the fact that his sheep hear his voice and respond to it. And now we get to verse 22, one of the last teaching times of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Verses 22 and 23, the specific setting of what we're going to look at. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. That's the specific setting. 
This is beginning to record the final confrontation of Jesus with this hostile Jerusalem crowd. It is the Feast of Dedication. Others call it the Feast of Lights. We today call it Hanukkah. Hanukkah usually happens in December in the Jewish calendar. But it's interesting that John, in recording this, says it's the time of the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, took place in Jerusalem, and he makes this little statement here. It was winter. Well, of course, it's December. It was winter. But I think what John is doing here is he is using this statement to set the tone. It's not just winter season. It's winter in the nation of Israel. Now, what is this Feast of Dedication? It celebrates the rededication of the temple in 165 B.C. after the altar in the temple had been desecrated. A pig was sacrificed on that altar. And that resulted in the Maccabean Revolt. Israel threw off its oppressors. And every time that the Feast of Dedication rolled around on the calendar... Guess what happened? People remembered the Maccabeans. They remembered throwing off the yoke. They waited for the coming Messiah. And its anticipation grew for that season. Maybe this year we can throw off Rome. In verse 24, there's a question of his messiahship so the jews gathered around him and said to jesus how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the christ tell us plainly well this this idea of the jews gathering around him it's very interesting in the original the jews encircled him they, they closed in on him like a pack of voracious wolves. They were waiting to pounce on his response. Are you really the Christ? Don't tell us in parables. Just say it. But Jesus knew their heart. Jesus knew that they were looking for a simple answer so that they could arrest him. Are you the Messiah? Others were there hoping if he would say yes, it would be time to throw off Roman occupation. It's interesting how he answers them in verses 25 and 26. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bears witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. That's his answer. To fill in the blank there in your outline, Jesus' answer, you are not my sheep. That's a pretty bold statement. They're part of the Israel nation. They're part of the chosen people. 
But notice what he says. You do not believe. That, that's present tense. That means they had no belief. No belief in Jesus. And yet he says in verse 25, the works that I do, the miracles that I do in my Father's name, they speak about my Messiahship. You should get it. I am the Messiah. But you're not among my sheep. You do not believe. What is the bottom line? Unbelief. Unbelief. Two times in two verses, you do not believe. The question for us this morning is, are you one of his sheep? Do you believe in Jesus Christ that he came and spent a sinless life here so he could die in your place? And either you have placed your faith in Jesus or you have not. You, you can't be in between those two locations. And the question that Jesus asked his detractors and the question that he asks us this morning is are you one of his sheep for years in the church that i grew up in as a child which i never went to vbs i i think that's just so funny matter of fact i went to parochial day school and and the pastor, when I was in first grade, came to our home and made an appointment. And they said, Mr. and Mrs. Spitzer, uh, your son already comes five days a week to our school. Please don't bring him to Sunday school. <laughs> what? I did not have the luxury of Sunday school. I did not go to vacation to Bible school. I, I had to become a Baptist to do those things. <laughs> but it's, it's a great thing. In verses, in these verses through 30, Jesus is going to contrast his sheep with other sheep. And he's going to talk about five qualities of God's sheep. So would you look at your own life this morning? Number one, verses 25 and 26. I've mentioned this, but let me put it down again. Believe in the shepherd. Now, I grew up in a church, and I knew all about Jesus I spent five days a week learning catechism in the Bible. I knew all about Jesus, all about his life. I believed that Jesus died for the sins of the world. And I was lost. It wasn't until I got into college and God could get me away from some of that. And finally there was a day when I understood that Jesus died for me. Not just for the world, but he died for me. And that moment, I went from death to life. I believed in the shepherd. Verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. 
Number two, one of the qualities of God's sheep is that they listen. They listen. Do you hear the voice of the shepherd? Are you responsive to his teaching? When he directs you in your life, do you say, okay, I'll go this way? Some of you might be saying to yourself, I don't think I've ever heard the voice of the shepherd. I hope that's not the case for anyone here. It may not be an audible voice. I can give you past examples of when I have clearly heard God's voice tell me what to do. But God wishes to direct us. And so as you spend time in prayer, do you, all you do is pray, 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 and talk, 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 or do you spend time and listen? That's a little scary, isn't it? But God wishes to direct you. The shepherd wishes to guide you. He wishes to lead you. But you must listen. And matter of fact, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. There is an intimacy there in this process of speaking and listening. And, and he knows each one of his sheep intimately. He knows your quirkiness. He knows what makes you happy and sad. He knows right now what you need. Are you listening? Number three, found in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Follow, number three, follow, follow. One of his sheep is eager to obey his commands. They follow me. And that word follow there is present tense. What does that mean? That this sheep habitually follows the shepherd. The shepherd strikes out because a shepherd from there in the Middle East doesn't drive the sheep forward. No, the shepherd leads the sheep. They follow him. He leads them to green pastures. He leads them to still water. He provides. He protects. And as we have studied the life of Jesus in the past, the Savior followed the will of the Father perfectly. And we're to follow the will of the shepherd. What a relationship. Now, our promise that we've been studying, promises every Sunday, is found in verses 28 and 29. 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Number four in your notes, receive eternal life. His sheep receive eternal life. It's a very clear statement in verse 28. 
And again, it's present tense. He gives eternal life. It's happening right now. And when he gives it, it is a gift. Can I earn a gift? Well, in some instances I can. But in this instance, a gift is received because it's been given, not because I've done anything to earn it. It's a gift. He gives eternal life. That can speak of either the duration of life or also the quality of life. It's a life that goes on forever, but it also is a life that is quality like his, eternal. And notice the promise. I give, Jesus says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. Never perish. That is a strong affirmation in the Greek. It also is a double negative. But in the original Greek, two negatives make it a stronger negative. They shall never know perish. And that word perish, to be lost or ruined. When Jesus, the good shepherd, gives eternal life to his sheep, they will never perish. They will never be lost. They will never be ruined. But notice the next part of that passage. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. It dawned on me as I worked on this passage for today, the hands of the shepherd created the world. The hands of the shepherd presently sustain the world. His sheep are in his hand. Now, we've heard of purse snatchers before, right? You're walking along and all of a sudden someone grabs your purse. You didn't expect it. The good shepherd says, I I give my sheep eternal life and no one, no one can pluck them out. No one can take by force the sheep that are in my hand. Now think about that. The sheep receive eternal life. And if that weren't a good enough promise for us, he then goes in verse 29, my father who has given them to me, the the sheep to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. To put in your notes, number five, secure. Secure. Protection by the shepherd's father. He's got him. The father is absolutely unmatched when it comes to anyone else in the universe. And Jesus says, as a good shepherd, the sheep are here, can't be snatched. The father's hand. Who? Who can snatch the sheep out of that kind of grip. No one. No one. Now, turn to your overflow section, please. 
I need to read for you the second quote because there is a belief among Christians that says Jesus the Good Shepherd has a grip, the Father has a grip, can you get out? And we would say, no, but there are some Christians who believe there is one way of getting out of this grip. You know what it is? They believe I can take myself out of that grip. So look at the quote I've given you. Number two, the assurance of eternal security will last until someone stronger and more powerful than God comes along. A total impossibility. So it is impossible for us to lose our salvation. Arminians, the system that denies the believer's security, argue that the individual can remove himself from the hand of God and that is not covered in this passage. Consider, however, that this would mean that every believer must have this ability, which logically then means that the corporate church is stronger than God. For the church could theoretically strike and leave God empty-handed. Now, if anything or anybody becomes stronger than God, it replaces God as God. It is absolutely impossible for the created to be greater than the creator. So this Arminian teaching just cannot be scripturally or logically harmonized with John chapter 10, the passage we are looking at. Sheep, the grip of the shepherd, the grip of the father. I can't get away. I don't want to get away. What happens if I sin so terribly? Can I take myself out of the grip of the shepherd? Yes or no? No. This grip, even if I get dissatisfied with walking with Christ, even if I want to rebel, even if I want to get out of his grip, can I get out of his grip? No. Does his grip depend upon my cooperating with him? No. It's like my child who wants to break free and run across the street. Do I let go? No. For no, un, no terms, nothing, no way. We're secure. So the simple question that I've asked before, but I will ask again, are you one of his sheep? Do you believe that Jesus died in your place for the forgiveness of your sins? That's what takes you from being not one of his sheep to one of his sheep. I believe that this is one of the most reassuring passages in all of Scripture. When you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, we have been given eternal life. And when we receive that new life by faith, we will never perish. Never. Now, since our future is secure, it should impact the way we live our lives. We should turn from sin. We should embrace godliness because we're waiting for Jesus to come back. Amen? 
He's coming back. God chose us. He redeemed us. He sealed us. He empowered us by his spirit. He promises life with Jesus forever. Should that not affect how I live right now? Yes. I think for some of you, you keep looking back at the starting line of the Christian life and saying, I remember when. I remember that day that I trusted Christ as my Savior. That was a great day. Remember that day back then? Is it still in force? You don't feel secure. That's like if you got married, would you pull out your wedding license every month or so to make sure that it was still in force? Or would you begin to live light in light of that reality and the reality that I am secure in Christ? He has called us to mission. He's called us to serve him, but I don't have to wonder, am I still one of his? No. That's been settled. I should be instead looking at the finish line of where I'm headed. God desires to use you, and you can minister from a place of security. In each of our lives... As we grow older, there are dark nights. I don't mean physical dark nights. There are nights. There are times and seasons in our life that we wonder, what is going on? Where is God at this moment? Would you please remember that the Good Shepherd has you in his grip? And the Father... Because, you know, two hands are better than one. And in those times when you are wondering what, what's happening in your life and these dark things are happening, would you please remember you are in the grip of the shepherd and in the grip of the father, never to perish. We struggle but the shepherd has us and the father has us. Let's pray.